Should you take that? Yeah. (laughs) I'm Allie Grant. And I'm just you. Welcome to Follow Me, your resource for all things influencer. Brought to you by B Social Group. Now, let's see who we're following this week. I think when you're creating content that's ultimately like designed for you, that's a great way to start. It might not be a great way to ultimately scale because you really have to listen to your consumer, listen to your following. But I think initially when you're creating specifically for the niche that you wish you saw, it's the best way to start developing content that at least can be consumed. All right. Welcome back to Follow Me Podcast. Ali here, Jess here. Let's get into it. Jess, what are you following this week on the internet? You know what? I'm going to turn the question around back to you because we're talking about something that you're really passionate about. You sent it to the talent Slack. You're on it. It's called Lemonade. What is Lemonade? Yeah. So have you seen the videos on TikTok or am I just in this like weird, like niche of like lemonade content? No, I think TikTok is really pushing this lemonade content to you because I, that's not anywhere on my free page. When I sent that article yesterday, did you have any idea what it was? You had no idea. And I'm on TikTok like 24 hours a day. So that was like breaking news. Breaking news. Wow. Okay. Okay. That kind of makes me feel young and cool. So hip, I'm the cool mom. But essentially, Lemonade is an app that was created by ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok. And it is essentially, in my opinion, I don't know if that's how they explain it, but kind of a mix of Pinterest and Instagram. So there's a lot of like tutorials, how-tos, a lot of carousel photos. You can also do video too on the app, but it seems like most of the content that's posted, it's like a video with sort of like a text overlay, which either has like instructions or how to or tutorial. And it's really interesting. So I downloaded it yesterday to play around with it. I've done two posts so far. I have about three followers. So (laughs) the people are engaged, but I think it's interesting and I'm definitely going to watch it. I think if you're a content creator, download it at a minimum, like get your handle, get your name and see what it's all about. You never know. With ByteDance being behind this, it could be the next big thing. What's the difference between Lemonade and TikTok and Instagram and Pinterest, I guess? So it has a feed, has a following feed, which I don't follow anyone. And then it has a for you feed, which is like TikTok. So it's like recommended content. And then up at the top, it has different categories. So you can click like fashion, beauty, food, wellness, and click through and kind of check it out that way. But similar like uploading and all of that is like a TikTok. It does have like fun, like text overlays and like editing tools within it. But the difference between all of these, I don't know, that they're owned by different companies and Part of me is like, oh my gosh, one more app and like Be Real was such a hot thing, but they've had a really hard time with engagement on their users. They have tons of users, but the users aren't opening the app anymore. So I don't know. I think we have too much going on at this point. I feel like Instagram and TikTok and Pinterest is enough for us. And we have Twitter and YouTube and now this. But again, like I think we're always in the same boat of like, if there's a new app, if there's something that's like catching some momentum, like as a content creator or someone who owns a business or is in marketing, like download it, figure it out, be an expert in it. And who knows, you can figure it out for yourself if it, if it makes sense for what you're doing. And that's my take. Yeah, I agree. I think with anything new, I mean like TikTok and Instagram were once new and you just like got to start downloading it. And if it overwhelms you, don't do it. But if it doesn't, 
explore it. Well, today's guest, Kira Jackson, she is such a wealth of knowledge. She uses very large vocabulary that Jess and I don't understand, but this episode is great. So a few of the things we get into, so investing 101, how to get investment, what it's like working at an investment firm. She talks through celebrity brands and its importance in the investment community. Like, is that still a buzzword? We kind of chat through that. Marketing in the eyes of VCs. And then starting a TikTok using your expertise as the content pillar, which she's done herself. So I love this episode. We'll start with a little intro on her and get into it. We are so excited to welcome Kira Jackson. Over the past decade, Kira has built pioneering brand strategy for leading consumer brands, ranging from pre-revenue to public. She has served as a founding team member and senior management in driving two agency acquisitions, the former an exit to a strategic buyer and the latter via private equity. She is currently an investor and head of partnerships at RX3 Growth Partners, a leading consumer-centric growth equity firm backed by a community of professional athletes, celebrities, and institutional investors. Kira also works as an angel investor and strategic advisor to emerging and growth stage brands, is an active member of the Global Women in VC community, and advisor with the Female Founder Collective board platform, The North. Let's welcome Kira. To meet you properly, I'm good. It's always nice to put a face to a name. Oh, yes. And you guys go way back. Allie and I? Yeah. Kind of. I don't know. Well, she worked for Be Social when we were in San Diego. So that's like years ago. That's like ancient times. And then she left and <laughs> I left. she left. She yes. left me and went to Harry Winston to do communications there for a few years. And then we kind of just reconnected. You weren't like looking or anything. We were just kind of like, hey, what are you up to? What are you up to? And whatever. And then, yeah, we were like, oh, we're looking for, you know, on different department, different side, like on our talent team. And then we, she started working alongside me. And then like within less than a year, it's like her own talent manager. Now she's our talent director. So... I mean, the power of like, you know, like leaving, like you've done, like leaving a job on good terms, like you never know when you're going to circle back to that person or that person's going to introduce you to someone on both ends. So, oh yeah, it's a thing for sure. Absolutely. When there's synergy and it just keeps happening, you're like growing in parallel paths. I feel like that's just like the universe telling you you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Especially in this industry, I think, too. It's like, you know, so many people. It feels big, but it's actually not. Yes, it is so small. Jess, are you focused on like a particular category of influencer or like type of creator? No. So it's funny that you say that because like Ali and I and our team have chatted about that, too. Is it smarter or more strategic if each person, each manager and their team kind of focuses on one vertical and kind of really expand that? But I feel like it's so hard to do that. I feel like influencers these days, they're, they can be in a niche like parenthood or fashion, but there are so many different aspects to their lives that their audience is wondering. Like if it's a mom influencer, you know, what are you doing with your beauty routine, your fashion routine? So I feel like niching down has kind of been like not a benefit for a lot of influencers. So it's hard to do that on the management side to kind of say, I'll only focus on like, people who are moms or something like that. Yeah. We've never seen success doing that. I know some agencies do that. Like they're like, I only do wellness or I only do beauty or whatever, but it's hard. And so many of our creators are so like multifaceted. It's like, I don't really even, 
you know, we don't have anyone that's like just beauty or whatever. So yeah, I don't know how you would do it these days, especially with like, I feel like TikTok content is so different from Instagram content, like platforms are very specific. So someone who's like fashion on Instagram might be mom or like wellness or recipes on TikTok too. So it's also like niching down is so like platform specific anyways. Yeah. I've been loving your TikToks. You're killing it. It is so fun. It is so intimidating. You were like inspired me to get going. You're literally so good at it. Like yours are so professional. Mine, I'm like, I throw up and I look like so haggard and like, I just, and you are like looking so nice. They're so well done though. Like truly. Do you edit those all yourself? Yeah. I mean, I usually just all record an app and I will just tap it every time I want to record. And then I just cut a couple of like microseconds off of each end of every clip and I just record it like straight through, which is kind of stressful because if you make a mistake, you can't like go back and change it. But it's like the easiest way for me to do it. Yeah. Allie, do you film an app? Yeah, I film an app. Allie's content is so good. No, you're like yours. I'm like, oh my God, she's brilliant. Like the words you use, I'm like, I don't even know what these words mean. Is she speaking English? Like, I don't even know because they're so sophisticated. That's what my husband says. I'm honored. That was actually like my brother-in-law, my younger brother-in-law, my husband's like younger brother. He, how many times can I say brother? Like younger brother. He did the like most hilarious speech I've ever heard at a wedding for our wedding. And his entire speech was about how I use words that he doesn't understand. So he's just like constantly attached to Google whenever he's around me. And he's like, I learned so much, but they're also, I don't know any three syllable words. So which is so funny. <laughs> How is your vocabulary so good? Is that like, where did you learn that? It was all my dad. My dad was a stay-at-home dad and he would read, what was he reading to me when I was like young, young Alexander Dumas and like the Three Musketeers and the Man in the Iron Mask. Like that was the kind of stuff that I grew up learning. And I think my vocabulary probably just developed because of it. But then I try to string the other a sentence and I'm like, Kira, words, I can't. no I feel that too but what made you want to start the TikTok because you're like a corporate girly like us like you've never been on the the other side of it so what was the inspiration yeah I think content has always been very intimidating to me I enjoy creating content and I liked I've always liked creating like aesthetic feeds or photos or what have you, just because there is like a creative in there that is like dying to be let out. But I think when TikTok started to rise up, it was during, it was in the midst of the pandemic. And I thought that it would be a way to like connect with people still, but it still never felt like the type of content that I was seeing on the platform was the type of content that I would want to create. And then I actually, one of my girlfriends, Maggie Sellers started creating this like educational content And she was using green screen and we talked about it and it was just like, it made so much more sense for me to use the platform in an educational, but still like hopefully engaging way. So I could start to get across a lot of like what I would say in one-to-one meetings with clients or with my friends on a more mass scale. But the challenge is like taking those very nuanced business centric topics and then sort of distilling them and making them more approachable and engaging for like a layman consumer. 
Yeah. See, like what you just said there, I don't know. Was that English or what? (laughs) (laughs) No idea. (laughs) No idea. Sometimes I just keep saying words and hope that they string together. Okay. (laughs) No, we got that. I got that. Yeah. I was just joking. I I did understand those words. Point of TikTok too. Like TikTok now, you use it as a search algorithm. So taking complicated topics and. I hate using the word dumbing down. But yeah, for a consumer like me who doesn't understand, dumbing it down so that everyone can understand. I think that's the positives of TikTok, honestly, that other platforms can't recreate. Yeah. Or for me, I mean, it was like, I come from the PR world. I come from top of funnel marketing. So for me, even trying to understand this world that I was entering, when I came into private equity there was such a barrier to entry and there was so much jargon and just information that is insanely gatekept. And if you don't know the right people, it's very difficult to get those resources and then garner that information. So for me, it was like I created videos that I wish I could see when I had been starting in the industry a year prior. And I think when you're creating content that's ultimately like designed for you, that's a great way to start. It might not be a great way to ultimately scale because you really have to listen to your consumer, listen to your following. But I think initially when you're creating specifically for the niche that you wish you saw, it's the best way to start developing content that at least can be consumed. And you've had success. Like you've had a handful of videos go viral, like very viral. And you've been able to grow this following, even though the topic is like somewhat niche. Like I feel like you've made it interesting to like anyone who's somewhat interested in your world, the VC world, marketing world. Do you see yourself diving more into that like creator world? Like what could be next for you, I guess, with with all of that? Oh my gosh, absolutely not to becoming a full-time creator. I think it's a talent and a patience, truthfully, that I just like do not have. I was not blessed with. I like creating on the side and I like using it as an outlet. But I think what I really love it for is it's a door opener. It's like a foot in the door to some of the companies that, in all honesty, like I've been creating on Instagram for a long time, never doing so to like make a platform out of it, but using it because I love it and have gotten a lot of really cool opportunities because of it. But if I were to tag one of my favorite brands on Instagram, they might like in two weeks heart the little DM that like pops up that says I tag them and be like, so nice of you, babe. Like so cool. On TikTok, if I tag a fund or a firm or a brand that I'm obsessed with or a platform that I am like, excited to dive into or wanting to learn more about, I'm genuinely not kidding. They reach out within like 48 hours. And it's not like a thank you so much for that content. Can we leverage it? It's a oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you're interested in learning more about live shopping. Can I walk you through what you know, v2 of our platform is going to look like and get your feedback? It is unprecedented access and opportunity. And I think that's why I love it so much. That's interesting. Like, I think too, and kind of like the reason why we do this podcast and why like I started TikToking and creating content as like an agency is that it does, it like opens doors for you. Like, of course, we also don't want to be full-time creators because that's not for us. Like we're on the other side, but it provides so much access and it is such a good marketing tool to get you out there. Yes. And I love being able to sit on the other side and understand it when I'm coming at it from the brand side or now like 
working at a firm and doing anything related to value add is basically like a mini version of like an agency. So we have, you know, 15 investments that we're going to do out of this second fund. And those 15 all work directly with their CEOs or their CMOs or their presidents in order to optimize, you know, spend, partnerships, experiential strategy, etc. So while I'm doing that, it's sort of like, I'm connecting them with talent on a celebrity and athlete scale, but also, you know, social media influencers. So if I don't understand how influencers want to be spoken to at any given point in any given time, I mean, that changes pretty dramatically year over year, I would say, then I can't do my job to the best of my ability on the brand side. I always tell founders or whatever brand leads, like be a creator, like share what you're good at, like be an expert. Who is the girl you're talking about, Jess? Katie, right? From Rare Beauty, the CMO? Yes, the CMO of Rare Beauty. She's done a really good TikTok and show amazing. She's done an amazing job and she's like a full-fledged creator now, but also a CMO of a an amazing beauty brand. So what's amazing about Katie too, is she's taken her content and been able to funnel it instead of trying to sell product or trying to like, even use affiliate codes or what have you. She's funneling all of that deal flow, quote unquote, into a community. And now has this incredible Geneva community for like up and coming female executives that is so collaborative and probably the most active Geneva channel that I'm in. So I think it's interesting too, when you have people who aren't creators by trade, using it and leveraging that sort of like output for other arenas, it gets very, very interesting when it's not like the traditional influencer model. Right. And I also love how Rare Beauty doesn't use Katie's TikTok as like a marketing strategy necessarily. Katie is so separate from it because she has so much experience aside from Rare Beauty. And Rare Beauty right now, where she is, is just kind of an asset that she uses. It's kind of like on a resume, but I totally agree. I think Katie is such a wealth of knowledge. And the reason why she gets such great engagement is because people are following her for expertise, but not necessarily because of Rare Beauty. Who are some other creators on TikTok that you feel like are doing a great job in like the knowledge expertise space? Oh my gosh. I mean, I have to shout out Maggie. Obviously, she's who inspired me to get into the space. I love her. I think that she creates amazing content that also sort of demystifies. She focuses, I would say, more so on angel investing, SPVs, that sort of model. And she comes from kind of the corporate venture arm. So a little bit different from my background and where I am now, but love her content. I also love, I gosh, I'm trying to remember his handle. It's Oren. I think it's like Oren World, O-R-E-N. He is unbelievable when it comes to like product development, sourcing, distribution, absolutely huge wealth of knowledge. And I don't have any interest in creating sort of like fashion or accessories brands. And I'd say that's where he really shines, but it is just like so engaging and so inspirational. So I love his content too. And what was Maggie's handle? Oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this. I think it's Maggie Sellers underscore. She's so good. Sometimes I know people by their handles, but not their actual names. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you guys? Oh, yeah. Everyone thinks my last name is Mackenzie, and it is not. It is my middle name. But yes, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I think I thought that too. But you're Jackson now, right? Like, as you got married. But what was your maiden name? It was Tershfield. Oh, yes, I do remember that. And I wanted to talk about this earlier, but the way we met was in San Diego 
through Kopari Beauty because you were on the PR team that was representing them. And then at the time, Be Social was helping them with their social, which is so funny. Was that like six years ago, probably seven? Yeah, maybe eight. It was a long time ago. I mean, that was my first job. I was the second employee at Covet. And we were doing like boutique health and wellness sort of client. Suja was our first client. And then Kopari happened naturally because of James Brennan. But yeah, that was a roller coaster. We we got to work together on basically like launching that company from I think we started working with them before they had a name, right? And the same with you guys. Yeah, I, I had no, I think they had a name when they came to us. They probably came to Covet prior to us, but there was a name, kind of like an understanding of where, where they wanted to be. But yeah, not a real sense of like how to do social and what that looked like. And that was the time when like that really like beachy content was so in. So we just kind of like took advantage of that. And like, that is such a brand that grew from like, social media influencer PR, like so tremendously. Do you keep in contact with that team at all? Yes, actually. I love them. I'm still very close with Taylor Burke, who now has an incredible women's wellness line. Yeah. Interesting. What is her line now? She has a line called My Girl Wellness and it's like probiotics, but she just launched sexual health and it's just like a women's holistic wellness brand. She's just killing it. She's she's pregnant with her second baby. Oh, yeah. She was like on the marketing team there. I remember working with her. And in terms of like your role at Covet, so you started as like a publicist, right? Share what that means, I guess, for people who might not understand. It's basically working with companies to be able to tell their stories in a public way. You're basically the go-between between a brand and the stories that they want to tell or the stories that they have that they don't know that they need to tell and media. So that could be editors, producers, at that time, a little bit of like social influencer as well. But it's really like extracting those storytelling opportunities from a brand and then fleshing them out and turning them into something exciting and topical and sexy that consumers would want to read. And then working with the relationships that we'd built on the media side to bring those opportunities, storytelling, interviews, exclusives to editors so that they could write about what was going on behind the closed doors of these private companies. And you did that for a while before moving into your role now, right? Yeah, so long. I was at Covet for three years in San Diego. And I think you guys had a very similar sort of realization where if you want to be amazing at PR, influencer marketing, I mean, really anything in sort of like relationship heavy industries, I feel you have to be in either LA or New York. So ended up leaving Covet. At the time, there was an option to open an LA office. And I actually turned it down. I didn't feel ready. I didn't know enough people at the time. I was maybe three years into my career. So I moved up to LA, worked for Azione and some very, very cool companies. I got to work with Sweetgreen, got to work with Equinox, Moon Juice, Ritual, all the coolest D2C brands when that was like all the rage. And then left Azione, did a little bit of like VIP gifting stuff at Bolare. And then once I joined Bolare, it was kind of pretty clear that it was time to open up that office for Covet. So went back to Covet, opened the LA office, and then started to kind of like get closer in a personal way to my boss at the time. And now one of my best friends, Sarah Brooks. And it became clear that opportunity for sort of acquisition was upon us. So 
was lucky enough to have a hand in kind of like that decision. Do we, you know, continue building the special company that we had with the incredible team, like scale that organically, or are we acquired by a larger performance marketing agency that at the time was about 150 people compared to, you know, our 40, it it felt a lot bigger and then just kind of like scale from there and, and ultimately opted for the latter, of course, and Power Digital purchased us, I want to say in 2019. Yeah, I remember reading about it and I was like, oh my gosh, like so great for Sarah and the team and everything you guys have built. And I'm sure a scary decision at the time, but then, you know, now you're kind of all probably like, it was the best decision in the moment. And has the team, the, Covet is no longer the name, right? It's called Power Digital now fully. Yeah, I actually don't know the latest. The way that it was, was like Covet PR sort of lived on just because I think in the health and wellness and like CPG industry, people think of Covet for that type of PR. So I'm pretty sure the site still lives. It just directs to Power Digital. Covet is basically like the PR arm of Power Digital. And Power was in the business of sort of single channel acquisitions. So they did a couple of those. It was like a social media firm, paid social that specialized in like conversion generating content. Then they did a couple of like data acquisitions, etc. So now looking back on it, I'm like, okay, that firm was owned by a private equity firm. And I'm starting to like recognize the playbook of certain amount of growth obviously has to be organic, but a certain amount is via acquisitions. So when we ultimately sold Power Digital to a larger private equity firm, it took, you know, three years. That's really what you would be underwriting at that stage a three to five X in three to five years. And the rate of growth organic and acquired to that point of ultimate sale by Periscope to Court Square. I mean, in retrospect, it makes so much sense. But at the time, I had no idea what I was seeing, or even honestly, what private equity or, or private investing really was. And is that what sparked your interest for your next role? I think marketing and PR is difficult for different reasons. I think it's sort of like a muscle that you build and then you sort of like rep it out moving forward and the platforms change and the people change, but really like the purpose and the mindset is the same. It's as a consumer, what would ultimately make me convert on this product in different sort of like levels of the funnel, of course. But it was starting to kind of feel like second nature to me. And honestly, I there were, I want to say between 10 to 15 of us that were actually like doing the sale to Port Square. We did a full roadshow. We vetted potential sponsors. I mean, financial sponsors, like a private equity firm, but also strategic partners. And there were, you know, it was a a tight room of people out of like a 500 person agency that were doing this process. And I was one of them. And I was so freaking nervous and scared before every one of those calls. And there's something in me that just likes to be a little scared because if I am, it means I'm learning something and I'm flexing a new muscle. So part of it was like, this intimidates me. Part of it was like, I don't see anyone who looks like me on that side of the table, but there probably should be because they don't understand what I do. Like trying to explain marketing to private equity guys is very difficult outside of like, what's your EBITDA? What are your returns? What is your retention like, et cetera? You know, the stats. So those things. And then of course, like stars aligned, the right opportunity arose and that sort of just life putting me in the right place at the right time. 
Can you share more about kind of going into what did that look like explaining what marketing and what you do to private equity? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's still sort of like that, honestly. Right now, I run the value add for RX3 Growth Partners, which is consumer-centric growth equity firm. But there's a talent component. Like We're co-founded by Aaron Rodgers. We have you know Vanessa Hudgens, Kevin Hart, investors, advisors of the fund. We Probably like 30% of our investors are talent in a traditional sense. But now, because I run value add and I sort of straddle our deal and operating team. So the majority of my role is working with our portfolio companies to add value. So after we invest, making sure that we are hitting those like multiples and returns by sprinkling some magic, some talent partnerships, and then kind of like helping to, again, optimize spend and output. But because, you know, the other 30% of my job is on the deal side, I'm looking at potential investments from a qualitative standpoint. So if we're looking at a company, I'm looking at the competitive landscape. I'm looking at their traffic, how much of it is organic versus paid. I'm looking at their management team. I'm looking at holes in their internal and external team partners. All of the things that are a little bit like softer, but all of that is taken to investment committee and considered as a part of like, do we want to invest in this company? So it's sort of like an explanation on both sides. On the deal side, a lot of it is distilling those soft qualitative components of a business into data. So for that, I use a lot of tools. I mean, I use SEMrush, which is an incredible SEO tool, but also for keyword analysis and not being hugely helpful. Then I use Spate, which is an amazing tool specifically for like beauty and wellness brands, just in terms of like tracking what trend data looks like on the consumer side. And then I also use a platform called Lefty, which is more of like an influencer tracking tool. But all of these make it possible for me to be able to like sell in my vision that is like so qualitative and all up in my head. And then on the platform side, a lot of it comes down to convincing boards and our investors where we need to pull back spend and where we need to like pour fuel on the fire. So that's part of it too. But if marketing is like Mount Everest, the way that I can describe it is honestly like the top five inches of Mount Everest. So it's a very shallow sort of understanding, but everyone has their expertise. Yeah. An investment firm like the one you work at now, is it always assumed that they come into a brand and put this much effort into it? Or are there some brands that you're like, here's some money, but like, you know, we're not touching it. Like you go and manage it. Is it both scenarios? That is a great question. I think we're moving into a world where value add investing and like differentiated capital is more important than ever. I think in the past, it was possible to sort of inject capital and take a seat back and let the company continue to do its work. But now, especially at the growth stage, because just a little bit of clarity too on stages like venture capital is sort of your like earlier stage investing, usually up to series A. Growth equity is kind of a newer sort of like subset of private equity. And that ranges from, you know, that series A close to like at CD. Honestly, it really, it depends. It's like ultimate liquidity or going public or we can ride all the way to the top. And then later stage private equity is like bringing public, taking back private, majority stakes, complete acquisitions, etc. So you kind of like graduate through that funnel. 
And I think when you're at like the venture realm, the needs of a company are much different from the needs of a company at growth stage and the needs of a company in the private equity stage. Like what we do is inflection point. So there's momentum, there's opportunity. The companies that we're looking at are typically profitable or well on their path to profitability. And we're just like pouring fuel on the fire in terms of like talent. That's our value add is like the marketing side and the talent side. So aligning like a Kevin Hart with a Hydro or a Khloe Kardashian with a Hydro or partnering core power with Bala because they need to target, you know, a Gen Z millennial audience that, you know, their new class format is really designed for. Like those sorts of activations are what we would do. But I do see firms, you know, that are just strictly, you know, capital. A lot of family offices are strictly capital and they invest directly and don't really like add a ton of value. I think that there are pros and cons to that. But at the earlier stage, you're betting on a founder to really like create the business. So you want to be there as a support system. But that like need for actual like roll up your sleeves, like get your hands dirty sort of value add is probably less so outside of those parameters of support because you're really making that bet on the business and the founder to find product market fit and then activate. I find this so interesting. Like on our side, obviously, you know, we help market brands that are working with investment firms like yourself. And then I would love to like learn more about it. And I feel like you're the perfect person to explain it all. I think that the bigger question we typically get as someone who represents creators are questions from people who created a brand, starting a brand, and they want money. And how do they get money? So can you explain that process a little bit? The first thing I'll caveat by saying is raising institutional capital. I would either find like the perfect partner, or I would be very strategic about when you bring on that institutional capital. Like, I think that there's a lot to be said for angels and syndicates, or even honestly, friends and family and bootstrapping to the stage where you've proven product market fit, you've proven traction, and then somebody else is like pouring fuel on a fire, but it's an engine that is like relatively oiled and can run, especially now in this kind of like macroeconomic climate. So the first is being strategic about when you bring on partners. I think the second tip I would give is as a founder, I think that it is very natural to walk into a room with an investor and give the investor all of the power. And you can sort of like feel that dynamic shift. Like I remember being on the sell side and being like, oh, this person has all the power because they have the money. But now that I'm sort of like sitting on the investment side, I look at companies and I say, wow, this founder is doing something I would never be able to do that founder is going to bring me returns. They're going to make me and my LPs money. Ultimately, as a founder, you're bringing opportunities to firms that they wouldn't otherwise have. So having confidence and knowing that you are bringing something to the table and you're bringing a lot to the table really changes the way that the dynamic... I think it also pulls a lot of like the need out of those conversations and some of the desperation too, because, you know, investors and people, they can smell it. So it's sort of like mitigating that helpful. The other pieces I would say are just like making sure that the investors that you ultimately let onto your cap table are people that you want to be tied to for eight to 10 years. They're people you're going to be in bed with for a very long time. 
So being picky about who those people are. Again, all of these come down to like, do you have the luxury? Do you have the runway? Can you like take your time in finding those partners? And then the last piece is sort of like leverage warm intros. Anybody that you know who might be connected to a firm that you really admire that would provide the type of capital and value and expertise that you're looking for, don't be afraid to ask them for feedback. And then, you know, once positive feedback is given, potentially an intro makes it a lot easier to get your foot in the door versus sending kind of a cold email. How much is the investment industry caring about celebrity or influencer facing or backed companies? Like, is that still like a buzzword right now? Or is there fatigue over that? I mean, I think from like, we're really in it, right? So for us, it feels like fatigue. And I do think that there is a little consumer fatigue just with regard to like talent led brands, especially when the product isn't delivering. I think product has to come first, community has to come second. And then if talent makes sense, then it makes sense to layer it on top. But it shouldn't necessarily be like the whole cigar. That being said, I'm I'm not gonna lie, like it's still sexy. It's still sexy to like the old white guys that sit around a table and are investing in looking at these brands. Like it doesn't hurt. It gets your foot in the door. I think it's more so just making sure that it again, wow, I really hate saying that it has to be authentic, but it does. <laughs> I wanna like take a shot. <laughs> take a shot every time I say the word authentic. It has I to love be that word. authentic. <laughs> authentic um, is genuine. And I think right. Yeah, super genuine. <laughs> so organic. It, so it, organic, it has yeah. to serve a purpose, you know? Like it can't just be for like the sex appeal. It's like, how are you using that celebrity? And I love seeing brands where the celebrity is maybe like they're still active and available for consumers and media. But they're also equally active and maybe more so on the buyer side. Like they're doing calls with Whole Foods to get their product on shelves. Like that is where you can really leverage celebrity and have it actually really impact the bottom line. I've seen some brands recently launch like some like skincare brands by like male celebrities where I'm like, what the heck? Like, you know, someone just like made this brand and then like pitched him in a room and he was like, yeah, sure. You know, like it, it is true. It does need to be authentic. It does need to be organic. The product actually has to be good. Like those things have to be set first. And then like what you said, the layer of the talent is that like that special sauce in certain like circumstances. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's where the fatigue comes from, is from those brands that you just know that someone just signed off on and isn't really, you know, in the factories, in production, in marketing meetings. They're just kind of like, okay, I guess, just slap my name on it and let's go. Okay. So we are going to end the segment with some rapid fire questions. We're just going to do three, so it'll go quick. You can add some color versus just one word if you want to. But the first question is favorite talent facing brand. Probably my favorite right now is Emma Chamberlain's Chamberlain Coffee. I really like it because, first of all, I feel like she Easter eggs her love for coffee for a very long time on YouTube. Like if you were actually an OG subscriber, you knew how addicted to like coffee she was. It feels authentic because it's that sort of a product. Second, I actually feel like the product pipeline is pretty innovative and interesting. 
I like to see something different and unique on the market. And then third, they just do an amazing job of like brand to brand sort of partnerships. And I am so bullish on that being like the future of organic marketing. She's not the kind of celebrity that kind of like takes a seat back and says, because it's my brand, it's going to be successful. She like wants to share and like piggyback off of existing brand equity. It's a very like collaborative approach. And I'm relatively close with their team and know that she happens to be very involved in the day-to-day, which I always love to hear. Yeah, I agree. It's it's like a UTA brand, right? Is that, was it oh, like, yeah, I guess. like brand department? I might be making that up, but I feel like I think I knew that. Um, I don't know. I, that makes sense. I feel like they do such a good job. And I mean, I'm a coffee addict, so I, I've yet to try it. Have you tried it? Is it good? It is actually really good. I tried their coffee pods, which surprisingly really good. And I am a coffee snob. Like I was doing Cometeer all through COVID. I was doing Jot subscriptions for a while. Like I have a gnarly Breville espresso machine. I thought it was really good. Favorite app you're loving right now? Oh my gosh. Okay. I just did a video on this actually, but Ren is so cool. It's basically like, okay, I'm going to butcher the shit out of this. It is like a relationship driven newsletter feed app. It's like, it's like if you saw Artifact, the new app from the Instagram founders, it's like a news feed of relevant news that you would be interested in, but you have like sports, beauty, business all mixed together. It's sort of like that. But as you scroll, every story is related to somebody within your network. So I uploaded all of my contacts from my emails, my personal and my work and my LinkedIn. And it basically takes all of that information and tracks everybody that I have in my contact base, gives me like a never ending feed of news. So if Be Social is acquired by Dolphin, then I get a notification that's like, Ali Grant is related to Be Social. And then I can literally click reach out and it has AI generated messaging that attaches to my email client. So it'll open in superhuman and it'll draft an email for me that's like either congratulatory or questioning or whatever. And it starts to learn like how I talk. I don't know if it's like fully there yet on that side, but that's the idea behind the AI. Like right now I just use it for templating and then I just like delete everything and restructure it. But the idea is so cool. And I feel like it allows me to really stay on top of what people are doing, not in a creepy way, but in like a, like I'm supporting you. I care about you and I'm supporting you. Yeah, that is okay. I'm like downloading that. That's amazing. Yeah, it is so cool. Yeah. They actually, I think they have a gnarly wait list. So I'm pretty sure their founder, their CEO said, if you're interested, reach out and say that Kira sent you and then he'll let you cut the wait list. Oh, cool. But it's hard. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm dropping your name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I love it. It is so cool. I'm not an investor in any way, shape, or form. I just think it's really cool. Hashtag yeah. non-spawn. Oh my gosh, I'm going to download that. Or try to try to get on the way. I think you'll like it. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> I think you'll like it. You'll like it. And then last question, who is your favorite person to follow on the internet? Or we'll say new ad, like a new follow. Oh, like a new face. Oh, like a new face. Okay, that's actually helpful. I don't know this person in real life. So I'm going to caveat that. I don't know this person in real life, but love her content. And I think she has a very unique approach to like a very classic styling sort of like content series. 
Tanya Seren. I'm going to butcher her name. Wow, that's awful. Oh, oh yeah, Tanya yeah. Seren. Yeah, Tanya. Yeah, she's like got great OG. content. Yeah. But she's OG, like stepped like, it up recently. Like, yeah. Like her TikTok is amazing. Her house, her style, her everything. I'm just like, whew, girl, she has it going yeah. on. I don't even like follow her on Instagram yet. I probably should. But her content on TikTok is just so interesting in the format that she she has this like cool get dressed with me format where she'll walk into the closet, take out what she wants to wear, go into like a different room and then style it for you and help you like you choose bags. So cute. It kind of feels like Vogue 73 questions, but just styling. It's so good. I agree. Yeah. That is the best way to describe it. Yes, that is so true. Well, this was amazing, Kira. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't believe we're already at time. Where can everyone follow you? Oh, yes. On Instagram at Kira McKenzie and then on TikTok at Kira McKenzie, just the Z. And then the same for Lemonade, actually. Are we talking about Lemonade? Okay. I think we're talking about it. Um, I doubt... I'm kind of all about it. I downloaded it yesterday. And like I'm I love Pinterest and it kind of has like some Pinterestness to it. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I'm still very, very new in it. And I'm probably gonna date this podcast because it's either gonna like tank, like float <laughs> up, like be real and then totally tank, or it's gonna be like oh, the be next real. big thing. And everyone's <laughs> gonna be like, a dot lemonade, but I'm I'm into it. I like it. It's kind of like Pinterest met like Twitter with a little bit of like Instagram and TikTok sprinkled in. Yeah. I don't know if I'm using it right, but Jess, are you on it? I'm not on it yet, but I'm always in for like a new platform. Like you just got to try it and feel it out. And then yeah. it tings, it tings, but it could be the next TikTok. Who knows? Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Well, thank you, Kira. This was amazing. We'll chat with you soon. Thank you so much for having me. 